Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Racing Lives. My name's Aurélie, Aurélie Donzelot. And in this podcast, I use motorsport as an excuse to chat to some of the most inspiring women I know. Each week brings a different guest and we discuss everything from career beginnings to what it's truly like to be involved in one of the fastest sports in the world. My guest today has worked her entire professional life in motorsport, climbing up the racing ladder from Formula BMW UK via the World Touring Car Championship and A1GP, with a touch of America's Cup for good measure, and ending up in Formula One, where she now heads up the communications function at Williams Racing and counts almost 10 years with the legendary team. She has recently become a mum for the first time to Florence, and so has paused her travelling ways momentarily while getting to grips with the new challenge of being a working mum in the fast-paced world of motor racing. She's one of my longest and closest friends in this industry, having cut our teeth into in-car racing together and climbed through the motorsport ladder at similar times. Our regular weekend catch-ups have become one of our favourite social media moments, which you may have come across. The infamous F1 grid selfies. My guest today is the highly experienced Sophie Og. Oh, wow! That makes me sound like a proper person. You are a proper person! That's really awesome. Thanks. I love it. I love it. On with the show. Okay. Tell me, Sophie, when and where did your racing life begin? So it goes back to the 90s, like quite a long time ago. My dad took me to a British touring car race when I was younger. And the moment I stepped inside the paddock, I was just totally captivated. I think the smells, the sounds, just the sight, the whole atmosphere just got me completely hooked. I remember saying to him, like, in that moment, you know, Dad, this is this is what I want to do. You know, this is where I want to work. And I think he thought I was a bit crazy. I didn't have a clue what job I actually wanted or what jobs even were available. But it was kind of there that it sort of started. So I started doing a bit of research, which was a lot harder than it is these days, and narrowed down sort of newspaper clippings and eventually decided that I wanted to be either a race engineer 
an aerodynamicist or weirdly enough an, an Anne Bradshaw because I saw an article in the post about <laughs> Anne who was this woman behind Damon Hill at the time and I didn't really know what she did but I thought that was quite a cool job as well so I decided that I needed to get some experience I had no idea how to get a foot in the door I had no family or anybody that were involved in motorsport and uh, eventually decided to get some work experience so when we got to sort of GCSEs and everyone was going off and, and doing a sort of week or two at various sort of companies. Uh, I decided it'd be a great idea to go and do two weeks helping a, a local race team back in Yorkshire, which was actually a contact through my nan. Um, she she knew somebody whose sort of other half ran this little racing team that ran Vauxhall Juniors and gave me a number. I sort of called them up out of the blue and said, look, can I come along and do this? Um, my school, again, thought I was a bit weird, but sort of checked it out and said, yeah, fine. And ever since then, I then I started going along to race weekends on a weekend. And every job that I've had since then has come either through a, a contact or recommendation from from someone I've known. So it just kind of snowballed from that, really. Wow, that's wicked. <laughs> yeah, very, that's very, weird. very surreal. And very similar to my own as well, actually. It suddenly experienced it, pointed at it, worked that it was just a brilliant place to work, a brilliant way of working, and then had literally no connection to it whatsoever and set about finding a way in, which yeah. is not wasn't easy, is it? It's, easy it's now really anyway, not easy. Yeah, I was going to say, now, now at least I think there's a lot more information now about what the jobs are and how to actually get in touch with people, even if it's through, you know, social media or uh, websites or online or, you know, there's so much so many places now you can find info but back then I really struggled so it was it was newspaper clippings and and just kind of asking around and writing to people I mean I remember writing a letter to Tyrrell and getting an email back from their aerodynamicist telling me all about what aerodynamicists do <laughs> and amazing. Uh, I know and it was just looking back it seems kind of crazy but it's it's kind of where I started and and I'm really glad that I, I did get in that way because it was then genuinely that sort of that love that drove me to kind of keep going and and every time I, I sort of took a different step into a different championship it just captivated me and hooked me even more and kind of like sucked me into this kind of motorsport bubble where I just kind of loved every element of it and I never really planned for what came next but every every sort of job that that I did end up going to was was never a planned move it was just kind of an opportunity that came up at the time. That's wicked. And so, I mean, I'm getting hints of it already, but would you say that you were always a motorsport fan? Where did it come from? I think it's difficult, isn't it? Because it was it was always on in the house um, when I was young. Like my dad always watched Formula One. You know, I've got photos that he took going to races in the 80s of you know, Gilles Villeneuve and people like that. And I remember watching Mansell and Senna and all these sort of great names that, um, that you sort of hear about. I, I think I must have absorbed it somehow, but then it was it was that touring car race that really kind of cemented it for me. But I, I don't know, maybe maybe it was always kind of there. I think, you know, I'm a competitive person anyway, so maybe it kind of just cemented everything that I kind of love. But I think from from that sort of early teens, it was definitely I was hugely, hugely impressed by the whole world of motorsport and just just wanted to know more. What's your um, earliest memory of it? Can you actually remember? I think it's really difficult, isn't it, to kind of think what's a memory and what's just something that you've learned or you've heard yeah. about over the it's years. Innocent. Yeah. yeah, it's like that question when people say, what's your earliest memory of being a, a child? It's, <laughs> it's yeah. like you sort of think that you have these memories and then you've probably been told them. Um, I do remember 
Nigel Mansell though I remember seeing him and I remember seeing all the sort of fanfare in the papers and on TV Williams weirdly was the team that I always sort of had a a connection to all the way through sort of the 90s from Mansell to Damon Hill to Jacques Villeneuve you know I was I was hugely hugely sort of addicted to watching it and following that that team which is why it's it's surreal that that's the team that I sort of ended up working with but I think yeah the sort of Mansell days I really really remember but then I also you know I do remember sort of British touring cars and when when I went to this race with my dad you know seeing like Ricard Vidal and all these sort of drivers and some some drivers you know doing sort of Formula Ford and things that went on to to great stuff you know like sort of Dan Weldon and all these people that went to America um I remember sort of seeing them in person and Jensen Button you know kind of coming up through the ranks you know even Lewis Hamilton I remember going to a karting race with some friends that actually karted at the time and I remember Lewis walking past in this like sort of pristine white suit and everyone was kind of like oh you know yeah he's sort of been picked up uh, by an F1 team and you know he's quite good and I was like oh, okay right okay fine and then a few years later like oh yeah he was quite good wasn't he (laughs) brilliant okay so you listed aerodynamicist engineer and Anne Bradshaw which as you and I know well is communication yes legendary communications you clearly ended up in communication so how how was the choice made so I think the initial choice for me was I wanted to be a race engineer or I wanted to do aero one of the two it was engineering engineering and I kind of all the sort of early jobs were all about sort of learning how, you know, racing cars worked. You know, when I used to go to the racetracks um, with all the sort of single seat teams and things, I was kind of helping out do whatever they needed. But part of it was, you know, polishing all the bodywork and washing the wheels and, and actually just sort of helping with any jobs with the cars to actually just try and learn a bit more about it. And I actually went to uni with that um, in mind. So like for my A-levels, I did physics, maths and computing with a view that I was, I was going to be an engineer. And then I think I kind of got to the point where I figured maybe numbers weren't my strong point. <laughs> I wasn't terrible and I'm pretty sure I could have put in a lot of hard work and got there, but I seemed to be better with words. So I figured, okay, maybe maybe that's the path for me and maybe that's that's the sort of route to take. And I I don't know, I think maybe that initial engineering passion has actually helped me in the sort of communication side of it because uh, a lot of what I do is obviously having to talk about technical things but also working with a lot of technical people and the fact that I actually I I genuinely have an interest and a fascination with that side of it I think has always helped people kind of maybe give me a bit more respect and and actually want to invest time in explaining and talking to me about things so I then decided to go down the yeah the the word route and uh and sort of got a few jobs not all in motorsport, to be honest. I, I did go into London at one point and work in a sort of PR agency just to get a bit of PR experience because I figured motorsport PR is very unique and it is very different. And it's quite hard to sort of learn on the job because generally, especially in small teams, you're the only person doing it. So you're not actually learning from anybody. So I thought it was quite valuable to, to do that. So I actually learned a little bit about communications itself. And then weirdly enough, one of my sort of first proper jobs was Formula BMW and um, the UK Championship. Mm. And weirdly enough, it was taking over from Anne Bradshaw, who had been oh, doing wow. that role previously. And I actually got to know her through Formula BMW. And uh, <laughs> it was a very strange coincidence having sort of 
when I'd been younger, kind of looking at these pictures of this legendary Anne, um, and then finally sort of meeting her. And do you know what? She's She's been a huge, huge influence on my career personally. And I think anyone that can find someone who's a, a mentor like that is is really lucky because that was so invaluable in in teaching me about Formula BMW but also you know she was working in world touring cars she was doing a lot of work with BMW still so we came across each other a lot and actually our paths have crossed um so many times through the years um she's recommended me for jobs she actually recommended me for the Williams job when it came up so I feel like I've I've taken over her role in a number of series um A1GP as well you know she kind of drafted me into A1GP I was working for one of the teams and she sort of called me in to to help out with her in the in the actual series and then then at Williams and then weirdly enough she's now my maternity cover so you know I know I love that I love that so much it's quite a uh it's it's quite strange how it's kind of all all come together but um yeah it's uh it's it's been good it's lovely. I love that synergy with Anne as well. Actually, I didn't realize the extent of it. I think it's yeah, brilliant. I know, I know. She's a great, she's a great mentor and a great friend now as well. And yeah, uh, I think there'll never be a day when I don't kind of go to her for some advice. Would you say? I love this question so much because no one knows how to answer it. Would you say you chose motorsport or motorsport chose you? That is an interesting question. Uh, I think motorsport chose me. Because, you know, like I say, that sort of captivated feeling of the the sound, the smell, the atmosphere, I think that's, you know, you either, it either gets you or it doesn't. And I think it's one of those instinctive things, you know, the first time you step in a paddock, it either, it, you know, you're just stepping in a paddock and it's just another day out or something happens and, yeah. and things, things change. And I think for that reason, you know, I, I didn't go out and look for it. I think it was just one of those things that I came across and it just sucked me in. And it's a pretty powerful feeling, isn't it? A lot of people experience it just when they go to a race as a guest with no interest in becoming part of it. And it yeah. does suck you in. Yeah, it definitely does. And I think, um, that, yeah, even like you say, when you don't work in it, there's still something about it that you kind of step in that paddock and there's a real sense of community and and I know we always sort of talk about that whole family feeling, but it genuinely is, even if you're not working in it day in, day out, you know, when you're in it for that weekend or for that day or for that hour, even, you know, you are part of that family. And I think there's, it is quite a unique feeling. I love that. I love describing it as a family. Mm. We literally embrace you and not let you go. <laughs> yeah. There might be some people listening to this which don't actually work in the industry, although I expect most of the listeners will be our mates. <laughs> what would you say is the biggest misconception about your job? I mean, the obvious thing is the glamour. Obviously, people think that clearly we just stand around taking grid selfies and drinking champagne. And I think that, you know, social media, we're probably all guilty of it because social media, we, you know, you put on that one photo from an entire weekend that makes it look like you were just chilling out in the sun. And uh, the sort of other 23 and a half hours in the day, you don't really document because <laughs> you were just working in an office or running around trying to keep up with things. But I think there is obviously sort of positive sides to it. But I think it's it's that balance of hard work. I don't think people necessarily outside the industry realise quite how much blood, sweat and tears genuinely goes into it. And not even from a Formula One side, you know, from everything that I did before I got to Formula One. I think people think that now you can kind of just step into F1 and it's it's easy and that everyone should be able to just be sort of gifted this sort of job that you can just travel around and have fun. And I think actually it's easy for people to forget that 
you know, we do genuinely work hard and we do have serious jobs to do. And we've all, you know, we all have put in a lot of graft to get where we have got and, and you shouldn't underestimate that. And I think, I think the other one that I would say people maybe have a misconception over is just the relationship with the media. So in communications particularly, I think there's probably a feeling of, you know, we're either sort of on the phone kind of doing this whole sort of big I am speech to media telling them not to run stories and to keep these things out of the press or we're sort of trying to sell them a dream that's just complete rubbish and that it's you know that that one person holds all the cards especially in Formula One I think there's a concept a sort of misconception that you know press officers hold all the cards because you know you're the F1 team whereas it's totally not like that you know it's it's such a a, a balancing act and those relationships with the media it's not it's not just about demanding things and feeling like you're the one that's in control all the time. And I think if you if you take that attitude that, you know, you're, you know, the ball's sort of in your court and, and you're holding all the cards, that you're going to get unstuck because <laughs> you actually need the media to be there in good times and bad, more so in bad times, to be honest. And I think how you how you treat them and how you you build those relationships, it's it's give and take the whole time. You know, you are trying to give them a bit of information. And they're trying to get a bit of information and you kind of have to find a middle ground that works for both of you. So it's 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 a lot trickier than probably people might imagine. But it's also really rewarding. And, you know, we as you know, we've got a lot of friends in the media and that's that's how you that's how you do your job <laughs> better, to be honest, isn't it? <laughs> By having those relationships, you know, you might not be best mates with everyone, but you know, you have to work with everybody and you have to get on with them to a certain level. And you you need each other. You need each other as much, you know, they need you as much as you need them. Definitely. It's a collaboration. Yeah. You touched on it slightly because you referenced it as one of your character elements, which is competition. Obviously, motorsport is highly competitive. You own up to being highly competitive yourself. <laughs> but we work in communication. We're not racing. And yet... I feel like we still end up being competitive in many different ways. So I wanted to ask you how you experience it in your job. That's a good question. Yeah, I mean, we are, aren't we? We're all competitive. And it's whether it's just kind of wanting our drivers to do well on the track or wanting to be the best comms team in the paddock or wanting to have, you know, that you know, have have your team as the the voice of something that happened, you know, every time that that something happens in the paddock or there's a news story it's kind of like looking around to see which team is actually going to get get involved and going to get <laughs> get some coverage out of it you'd think it was maybe a bit dog eat dog from the outside but then we all get on so well you know all the other f1 teams we all talk you know all the heads of comms we talk a lot more than people would realize and i think actually out of all the the roles across across the teams maybe aside from the team principals, I'd say maybe the heads of comms are, are kind of one of the groups that maybe do communicate the most, which is probably good given that we work in communications. But, you know, you know, the team managers do get together and they talk. But I genuinely think the comms people do kind of work quite closely together and 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 do become a little family in themselves. And when things are happening, you know, we do try and keep each other in the loop. And, you know, it's not very often that we get caught out by what one team's doing or that we sort of at, you know purposefully step on each other's toes but there is obviously an element of, of competition there there always is and and there's an element of competition because obviously some teams are sort of more desirable to the media than others so you know you're constantly sort of competing in in that aspect and if you're not competing on track then you're competing off track to to be the team that can offer something that another team can't 
I think it's 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 all a big competition, but I think it's a friendly competition. I don't think there's any uh, any harm in it. I think it's just fun, and I think it's what we all love. You know, but there's also that competition. You know, when you're going through a, an airport and you want to be first through security because you want to get a seat. You know, waiting to get on the plane. I mean, it's it's crazy, but you know, <laughs> if you can get through security quicker than even a colleague that you're traveling with, then you feel like you've got to win. <laughs> There's even nothing when we're on charter flights and we know no one wants the middle seat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That feeling of trying to get checked in first. And if and if your seat can't be changed, then you feel like you've lost. But if you've got an aisle or a window, you, you kind of turn around smugly like you've won a ticket. It's it's crazy, but it's kind of just the world that we live in. And and I think it's what kind of keeps it all exciting that there is this sort of fun element to literally everything that we do even things that might be mundane to most people <laughs> literally cannot help ourselves talking about success a thing I love about the sort of times we live in generally is that there's a lot of emphasis on defining success for yourself so I wanted to ask you you know how do you define success for yourself for your job I think there's from from my particular sort of experience I I find that I judge success on things that I keep out of the press as much as the stuff that I get in the press so a lot of the wins that I'll feel I have no one will ever hear about or know about because you're not going to go and say oh guess what I just kept out of the newspaper because <laughs> that would really be a bit stupid um, <laughs> but but a lot of the time it is and it's and even if it's if it is negative news or you know things are tough which to be fair you know the last few years at Williams we've had some really really tough times but I found it really really rewarding because I feel like it's a different challenge and getting you know working with the media in those times and getting them to sort of frame a story and understand what you know what people are going through and and what's actually happening to a point that you can you can try and get it across in a really sort of human way um, so that people people can kind of understand those struggles. I think that's that's actually, in my eyes, is, is quite a success and is is quite a challenge. But then obviously there's this sort of more obvious things like, you know, dealing with a, a crisis, you know, 2012, for example, when we, we won a race, which was out of the blue. So actually dealing with that in the first instance, because, you know, I remember running down to the, the podium and passing someone from Red Bull going, can you tell me where I go? Because I've never, <laughs> even, I've never even done a recce to where the press conference rooms are and things like that because we'd never needed it. We were nowhere near. I learnt my lesson there. <laughs> Do it anyway, even if we finish last. I always know where to go if we win now. Things like that are kind of uh, are fun challenges. And obviously that was that was sort of obvious success. But then obviously we, we burnt the garage down straight after that. And it went very quickly from being a extremely positive moment where we're organising team photos and all this kind of stuff to you know wow we've just you know got a few people now in the medical center a few people in hospital you know the garage is completely decimated and you know everything went down you know it went down everything just completely stopped and you kind of have to go okay right this is a situation we've never been faced with before let's work through it and stay calm and manage it and you know, manage what we need to do externally and internally. And, you know, we got through it and it was tough, but, you know, we did, we did manage it. And a week later we were in, in Monaco racing, which is crazy to think of now. But then, and I know I'm listing quite a lot of successes here. There's a lot of ways of defining it, but it's, it's quite a unique job. So there are different, different levels to it because then on the other side of that, there's, 
there is the proactive stuff and you know we don't always get the opportunity to do it and you know budgets can sometimes be quite difficult in formula one because you kind of want to pour everything into the car but every now and again you can make some crazy idea become a reality and you know one of those crazy ideas that we had was the big 40th anniversary extravaganza at Silverstone yeah. where we decided uh, you know I remember sitting around the table and we sort of threw the idea out and said you know what about just trying to put on a fan day and get all the fans involved and everyone initially looked at me a little bit crazy like how's this going to happen and then people kind of got on board and went actually you know what there's something in this and we ended up with this massive day 40,000 fans coming and watching loads of our cars running you know so many of our ex-world champions it was just it was it was crazy so stuff like that you know sort of ideas become reality putting Frank in a hot lap with Lewis I still can't believe that that I didn't get told that was ridiculous and that we weren't going to do it and even when we were putting him in the car I still remember sitting there thinking we're actually doing this but yeah there's, there's fun stuff like that that's kind of real sort of small wins yeah I think they're they're kind of a number of ways that I sort of would define success I loved I loved that lap so much I'd love seeing Frank so happy and it was, I mean that was the great thing and you know Claire Claire sort of wanted to do it because you know Frank is a huge Lewis fan and I remember sort of saying to Claire you know do, do you know what you're asking here <laughs> and she just kind of looked going yeah but he'll absolutely love it and, and she was totally right I mean literally his face was a picture and he did he absolutely loved it and sometimes you kind of have to go you know from my PR communications I'm kind of literally going through everything that could go wrong with this and thinking is this worth it and actually I'm really glad that we did almost throw caution to the wind. I mean, not, not that we weren't safe and we did check a lot of things out. It wasn't just one of those things where we just stuck him in a car. But I'm, I am really pleased that, you know, Claire did push ahead and, and, and did kind of go, no, do you know what? We need to do this for Frank because it, it, it was great. Oh, completely different topic. <laughs> yeah. What is the moment you realised your job was not glamorous at all? <laughs> there have been so many moments like this. I think, I mean, going right back to the beginning, I think if you if you haven't been stood on the first corner or, you know, out sort of trying to make notes on a race on a rainy, freezing cold day at Thruxton in a support paddock... <laughs> then you really don't, you haven't, you know, haven't paid your dues. Because moments like that really do kind of make you. And you do look around and go, wow, wow, really, what am I doing here? At that point, you, you realise this isn't a glamorous job. Moving on to a slightly different aspect of your work, which is everything else. How do you manage an actual work-life balance? Because our jobs are not nine to five. No, it's, it's tricky, isn't it? And... <laughs> I think maybe my idea of a work-life balance is different to a lot of people's version of a work-life balance. Um, so much so where I think over the years, I've actually had bosses almost force me to try and take time off and encourage me to have a life outside of work. I think I'm I am quite a workaholic. So actually, the, the home side of things is the bit that I really have to force myself to do. But since I've actually started doing that, it, it actually makes the work side a bit easier, which I know people have been saying for years, you do need to balance. Um, and it is true. But I think it's tricky because I don't think anybody really knows the answer to the question. And I don't think anybody has the perfect balance. I think it's just about 
getting a balance that works for you. I've got really understanding family who ever since I was 13 years old have always understood that my weekends I want to spend at racetracks and (laughs) they've kind of gone from thinking that was mad to actually going oh okay you've got quite a good job now you do need understanding friends and family (laughs) most of my friends are in motorsport as you can imagine um I do have a very small number of friends (laughs) who aren't in motorsport but it probably is small for the reason of they kind of have to you you know they stay friends with me on the basis that we'll I mean it's good that we can chat a lot now so I have a lot of whatsapp groups and things like that to kind of stay in touch with people but generally I'll kind of catch up with friends maybe once a year which sounds crazy but I mean that's that's a good year but then also kind of balancing that whole crazy fast-paced nature of things with (laughs) yoga I do a lot of yoga and I started that a few years ago when work was getting really stressful and I kind of needed something and I didn't know what I've never been a big exerciser loads of people kind of run and and kind of take their minds somewhere else doing things like that that's really never been for me like if you see me running something's seriously gone wrong so <laughs> yoga <laughs> has been really great because it's it's not just about sort of body you know it's, it's sort of mind and I think you do really have to look after that that side of things because when you're in any high pressure job you've got to be able to find a way to to separate things from it and to actually just slow things down for a little bit. And the other thing is sort of writing. I've always found writing has been a good a good way of kind of keeping that sort of home work balance um, thing as well, because I do a lot of writing in my personal time, but it's always been kind of my sort of therapy in a way. It's kind of how I process things. You know, I've kept a diary since I was like 10 years old. I mean, no one should ever read these because... I mean, they go from talking about, you know, my favourite fizzy drink (laughs) to (laughs) lots of things that probably people should never hear about (laughs) as I go through the years Uh, and lots of then moaning and and sort of ranting about things. (laughs) But I think it's, it's just finding those things, whatever they are, to actually be able to separate from work, whatever that may be, and spend time. But, you know, obviously this, you know, the last sort of few few months I've now got a daughter so this is now a completely different dimension to my family and home life it's always been very much you know very much been able to just put myself first and and manage things accordingly so that's going to be a a new a new chapter when I kind of go back to work this time in in how I manage the work-life balance now it's going to be a big a big change and I'm kind of quite excited to see how I how I tackle that because at the moment I have an idea of how that will go. I'm definitely looking forward to getting back to work. I knew that I would miss work and I knew that I would miss racing. And as much as people told me I wouldn't and I wouldn't care and I would have other things to focus on. Yes, I do have other things to focus on. And yes, I am very busy. And yes, Florence is amazing. But I still love motorsport and I still love my job. So I'm looking forward to to working out how to combine that. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. You touched on it, but I wanted to ask you specifically, how do you cope with stress in your job? Because I'm, I'm not saying anybody's stress is bigger than anyone else's I've just caught myself in what I was about to say but I do think that the stress that we deal with in our jobs can be huge things you know one of the realities that we have to have every time we go racing is we may deal with somebody being injured sometimes fatally so not to put the focus on that but I do think that we cope with stress we have to know how to cope with stress and I just wanted to check how you do that yeah I think it's a really important issue and yeah not to to obviously sort of to dwell on it but you know like you say you know I have actually lost a lot of friends over the years too many really and it it kind of reminds you that motor racing is dangerous and we we have all these crisis plans in place and you hope you're never going to need them but these things do happen and even even down from the junior formula you know I was really really close to Henry 30s you know I I was good friends with you know Dan Weldon there's there's lots of people over the years that I've I've come across or people that I know who are, are close to people who have lost people um and obviously you know you were in the, the paddock with us a, a couple of times unfortunately over the last few years where we've we've lost we've lost drivers whether it be formula 2 or formula 1 you know these things do unfortunately happen and that is the kind of extreme of the the stress and the scale that we we have to manage but but even down to just the the stress of the the sort of fast pace in which we work you know we have a race sometimes every other week sometimes every week you know away from home for two and a half weeks three weeks at a time which which takes its toll as well you know you you are on the road you're away from sort of home comforts you're away from you know people that you can sort of turn to maybe and you know you need people you need a support network you need a way of processing things you need to be able to keep keep a kind of professional head on things to understand and you you need to have your own coping mechanisms so you know for me personally I like to talk about things whether it's talk with someone directly involved talk to somebody who's within that sort of wider paddock group or maybe sometimes talk to someone who's back home and completely removed from it you know I feel like to deal with stress I sort of have to process things and then once I've processed them I can kind of move on and you kind of have to find you have to find your way of dealing with it because you can't just keep it all 
sort of pent up inside because you just won't you won't be able to function it'll get to a point where you know I have in the past got to a point where I just I couldn't function because I was I was so stressed everything I'd let everything get on top of me you know I was so so worried about doing a good job at work and and not letting things get on top of me that I actually ended up letting things get on top of me more than ever and that was when I had to sort of start taking a step back and actually thinking right what's important here you know what do I need to do and what things are actually do I need to process what do I need to deal with what do I need to let go of and how do I do that and yoga for me was was a good outlet like I said writing was a good outlet but you know yoga was a really good one for just sort of processing things in your mind and then you just have to move on with things and and that's kind of how I how I kind of keep going and I think that you know people just need to talk I think don't don't bottle things up don't you know if something's bother you even if you don't think that it should be something that's bothering you like talk to somebody because somebody will understand and even even if you don't need an answer even if you just need to say it it can then sometimes help and you can then sort of move on from it but I think yeah don't bottle stuff up because Mm -hmm. in in our jobs in particular it it can get all-consuming definitely and the nice thing about yoga as well which I know is is that it took you away from work it took you into another bubble even if it was for half an hour um yeah. and I think that that was probably a, a massive massive bit yeah we do have to force ourselves to put our phones down don't we I mean we're <laughs> I think the world is guilty of it but I think in particular we are really bad for it and actually having to do something where you can't be on your phone is helpful <laughs> The moment you described, the moment where you said, actually, do you know what? I had to put things down and, and I turned to yoga and that's where it started. It, would you say that was your lowest point? Yeah, definitely. I had probably about a month of it being a, a really kind of low point. Um, it's probably about five, six years ago now. And it was sort of just before Christmas. And I remember just sort of sitting there thinking that I was just, I was so unhappy with things and I just couldn't. I couldn't process things and the enjoyment had gone out of everything and I needed to kind of get back to to being me to actually be able to do my job better I was I was really I was worrying about everything I was worrying about work I was worrying about home and yeah it was it was definitely a, a really low point and I remember sort of you know looking back it was it was a sort of very defined moment where I kind of went, okay, this isn't, this isn't me. This is not, this is not me performing at my best either at home or at work. And I need to find a way to deal with this stress. But at the time I remember thinking for ages, like what's wrong? Why am I just so like sort of tired and like fed up and getting, and I think I was getting quite snappy and <laughs> with people that <laughs> work for me as well, sort of my, my team who, you know, I, I really love like all the people that have kind of been in my comms team. But I think the guys at the time would probably <laughs> admit that I was probably quite a difficult boss at that point because I was just, so on edge at all times that the slightest thing I would just tip and that's not a good way to manage and I remember sort of being pulled aside by someone saying you know how how do you think you're managing your team and I actually thought you know what if I was being managed how I was managing right now I would hate it and it was a real sort of wake-up call to kind of go right now do you know what how what kind of manager do I want to be what what kind of person do I want to be and how do I want to be seen at work yeah it was it was a big turning point I think and and the sort of few years since then and becoming sort of head of comms I think is has really kind of that really sort of helped 
me get to a place where I would I would like to think now my team are much happier. <laughs> Maybe don't ask them just in case. <laughs> <laughs> I won't do a follow-up interview, don't worry. <laughs> you touched on performance and one of the things that fascinates me about motorsport is especially Formula One. I mean, or if you stay, let's say if you stay in the same championship or the same series for a long time as we now are doing, it's essentially the same thing every year. And down to a point, it's actually the same thing every race weekend the formats and the, you know, the process that we go through, we're effectively doing the same thing over and over again. And yet we're all staying in it. And I know from a personal experience that it isn't actually the same every year and it isn't actually the same every weekend. From your point of view, how do you experience it and find ways to keep learning and growing when actually you are in a similar environment week on week, year on year? Yeah, I think you kind of sort of hit the nail on the head by saying you know it's actually not the same is it I remember someone saying to me uh years and years ago when I sort of started working in motorsport that if I was that interested in watching cars go around in circles why don't I just go and sit on a roundabout and I kind of I mean I sort of get their point but I was like it's really not it's really not the same (laughs) but like you say yeah we do there is a sort of a nice sense of familiarity I'd say with with race weekends and race formats and and even going to sort of the same places year on year but it is not the same it's you know no no day is the same no hour is the same even going back to you know I've been to some tracks millions of times but the memories I have of them from 2010 are totally different to the memories I have of being there in 2015 versus 2019 you know I think that's what keeps us all involved because you do have this reset button every year you know you have new drivers you might have new technical people you might have new you know engineers you might have new people in the marketing department there's so many things that can change you know I mean it's with sport the way the formats actually do work on race weekends and I think we all get quite excited by those changes as well you know the idea of going to a new a new circuit you know you get there and it's like oh you know I've got to find where the media center is and you know and work out where where all sort of the places that you would normally know are going to be at this track you know everyone says oh you know there's always another Abu Dhabi but there's never another Abu Dhabi 2019 you know there's never another of that specific race and that specific moment and you have to kind of enjoy every single one and there'll be years that you look back on and go do you know what really really didn't enjoy that year and there's years I look back on now and go wow yeah I would love to go back to that year because everything about it was just fun and exciting but then you never know what next year will bring and that's that is the the joy of it I think is that you do never know what will come next in any aspect of the sport or the race weekend or the drivers or what someone's going to say next even uh and so it's it's never the same and I think that's what keeps us all keeps us all going really would you say that's what you love the most about motorsport or is it something else motorsport is just a crazy world of unpredictability and as much as I love organization and order and lists and planning I love the unpredictability of it which is really weird and probably sounds very much going against my nature for anyone that knows me but it genuinely is it's that anything could happen feeling it's that you're stood in the garage you know know, we might be p19 p20 on the grid but you never know, you know, there's always that, there's always that element of you never know what you're going to be dealing with today. And that is the excitement and that sort of competitiveness and just the racing, that is what really excites us. And I think, yeah, that's, that's what kind of keeps it, keeps it really fun. 
I go into every single race weekend and I don't even admit that to myself. I just realized <laughs> that I do it every single race weekend expecting the very highest performance that we can put together as an entire team across all disciplines. Yeah. And until that checkered flag, I do not let go of that <laughs> yeah. expectation. You yeah. never know what might happen. You never know. You never know. Oh, we always outperform ourselves. It's not always visible, but but this is the thing, and 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 wins to us aren't necessarily big wins on the outside world. You know, at the moment, getting a point for Williams is a huge victory. So you know, you do you do sort of manage your expectations slightly on on what is seen as as a sort of a win, whether it's on track or off track. But you know, like I said, I always think back to twenty twelve. No one expected us to win in Spain, and we did. These things can happen. What what would you say is your least favourite thing about motorsport then? I think my least favourite thing about motorsport, it's very difficult because I think even the things that I don't enjoy about it, I kind of do enjoy because in a, in a weird way, like I say, you know, difficult, difficult times, long days at the circuit, you know, we, we moan about them at the time, but actually looking back on them, there's a lot of camaraderie and sort of making each other cups of coffee to kind of keep going dropping cake around each other's motor motorhomes yeah. if we know one person's had a bad day <laughs> yes that's always a highlight we always try and do that you see little things like that that you do just pick us all up and remind us that you know we're all in this together but I think the the difficult stuff is probably being away so much as much as I love traveling I genuinely genuinely love traveling and I, I don't like staying still too long being being away and being on the road is quite tough and I think that's probably going to, like I said, go to another level this year because having to leave Florence if I go to races, I know that's going to be probably the toughest thing that I've I've had to do. Um, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to sort of take being away from home, like I said, to another level. So I think that's the hardest thing. And I think that's the hardest thing for a lot of people in motorsport. And I think that's the bit that people don't realise when you, know, you have a lot of fans sort of crying out for, oh, let's, let's do a race every week. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I would love to watch an F1 race every week because I love F1. But it's not just it's not just two hours on a Sunday for us. You know, you're away. Well, pretty much everybody in the paddock is away for a whole week if it's one race, two weeks if it's back to back races. So it's not just a case of switching on for two hours and then switching back off again. And there's a lot of a lot of time that goes into that. And I think that's probably the hardest thing for everyone is is just that time away and being able to still connect, like we say, with that home life when you're not at home quite a lot. I think mine is the one of my things that I'm realizing now is um, the sheer exhaustion. Um, not necessarily that comes from the actual work. It's probably just from being on a plane every other week. Yeah. And jet lagged. Um, I, I think I've underestimated how tired I've been for the last few years. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, jet lag is definitely, definitely a tough one. And it is tiring. However, having now had a baby. <laughs> perspective <laughs> I um yeah I have a new perspective on this and actually looking back I was I was getting so much sleep <laughs> this is a new level of tired but I think I was very prepared for it because jet lag is a very similar experience so that feeling of just having to sleep whenever you can and not worry if it's the middle of the night or the middle of the day has really stood me in good stead with uh with having a baby because that's pretty much you pretty much feel jet lagged at, at all hours of the day <laughs> So I'm actually looking forward to a race to actually maybe get a night's sleep again. <laughs> I've forgotten what they're like. They're great. I mm. highly recommend them. I really do. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> 
talk to me about another aspect, which we've kind of sort of touched on throughout this um, chat anyway, but one that I know you and I love on our, our personal means. And then we also hugely involved for our jobs. You slightly less so more recently, but you did have a massive part in it for years. And that is, of course, social media. Talk to me about how you approach it and what you feel about it. Yeah, social media, it, it's got its plus side and it's got its negative side, hasn't it? I think yeah. from a from a sort of professional perspective, it's it's a huge asset and it's a it's taken off so much since I first joined even Williams. I remember when I first joined Williams, our Twitter following was like ten thousand, if that, maybe nine thousand or something, and we did like maybe one tweet a week. And I remember kind of looking at it and saying, look, do you mind if I kind of take this on? Because I think we should be doing more if you don't mind. And luckily they said, yeah, sure, go for it. And obviously now it's, I mean, social media is, like you say, it's an entire job. You know, I now have an awesome person managing our social media. And, you know, sort of Adam just kind of gets stuck into everything. And I'd be completely lost without it because, you know, I couldn't do my job on a weekend and do social media now because there's just too much. And when you've got so many so many outlets which is great for getting content out and it's also great for talking to sort of the fans because they have this direct contact with a team that they've never had in the past you know like I said when I sort of started you know I'm writing letters to a team hoping that they read them now you know you can be in the middle of a race race even and, and you can sort of send a, a direct message to a team <laughs> which might not always be helpful because you know you might just be saying you don't agree with the strategy but <laughs> you know you still you have that access which I think is a really really great thing I think you just have to balance it with the you know the negative comments that you get you're always going to get negative comments everybody on social media whether it's personal professional you know celebrities teams like you're always going to get the negativity. And I think you just have to be able to take it with a pinch of salt. You know, it does give people access to say positive things, but it gives people direct access to you to say negative things. But on the whole, I think it's a really, a really sort of great development in, in how we actually communicate now. I think from a, a personal point of view, um, like you say, you know, I, I love social media. And it, again, it plays to kind of one of my hobbies so to speak in that you know I love writing I love photography I said you know I've always kept a diary and and kind of Instagram is now my my new diary you know I I, you know still write I still you know I started writing a book when I I went on maternity leave because I sort of wanted to document my pregnancy and sort of write it all down I'm pretty sure I'll I'll never actually publish it as a book because it would be so boring to read but um (laughs) but (laughs) you never know never say never but like snippets snippets of it are kind of across on my on my sort of personal Instagram and I have sort of one that sort of charts my sort of racing life so to speak which is where our great grid selfies always appear and it's always a highlight of the weekend but you know stuff like that is is kind of fun and I I do kind of use it for that reason you know I use it just to you know I'm quite a nostalgic person and I like I like documenting things in that way that you can then look back on and I do regularly look back through my Instagram to like years gone by and it's, it's really kind of nice to remind yourself of things you've done and places you've been and, and events you've been part of. <clears throat> and I've recently started a, a sort of second Instagram channel, which um, I know we've sort of spoken about in the past, which is Racing Mom Life, which is now more geared towards me sort of documenting just my life as a mum. Because I sort of started putting stuff on my, my normal Instagram and kind of felt, it felt a bit weird because it felt... It was like two worlds colliding. And, you know, there are a lot of people that 
follow my Instagram and I do have a lot of motorsport content on there because that's literally been my life and I'm pretty sure they're not all that interested in every little move that Florence makes but for me I want to be able to document it because I want to I want to read it back and I want to be able to look back through you know especially these like early days when she's kind of so small so I've kind of started this and again you know it's for me and it's how I kind of approach social media it's it's an outlet for me it gives me somewhere to kind of express myself and be creative but you know it's not it's not overly time consuming it's something that I can always do on the go it's something that I can do at night when she's gone to bed it's something that I you know be able to do when I'm, I'm traveling again um and it's and it's writing so like I said it's it's going back to finding those things that just keep you happy outside of outside of work and I think social media is really great for that and you know it's really nice having that engagement as well because when you have you know people on the other end so you know a lot of them are our friends and people that I know that will comment on stuff but it's sometimes you know even if it's good things or bad things it's sometimes nice just to kind of go has anyone else had this happen today and you get a, a few people going yeah yeah me too or you know I'm feeling a bit down yeah let's just kind of get through this together and equally when something positive happens you know, it's nice being able to share it, especially with family as well. You know, I've got a lot of family abroad and they kind of follow my Instagram to know where I am half the time. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's different people see different things in it. Um, but for me, it's, it is quite a, a personal thing and, and I do really, really enjoy it. My mum's actually told me in the past that she obviously checks my own Instagram and, you know, social media channels to find out where I am and what I'm up to. But she also yeah. checks the teams. <laughs> so... <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Talk to me about the people that you have getting in touch with you. And I think we're both quite aware of not necessarily the example that we're setting because I, I, you know, I'm not that big headed, but I'm aware that there are other people out there watching what we're doing as, as a career and are interested. And I'd love to know what advice you would give to anyone that wants to work in motorsport. And that's currently looking at you as a, as a great example of what can be achieved. Well, thank you very much for saying that you think I'm a great example. <laughs> like you say, it is quite weird because you, you don't see yourself as, as that, but I do get a lot of messages on social media from people who um, who do ask questions about you know, how to get into motorsport. And I, and I also have quite a few people that will come up to me in the paddock and ask me questions. And they'll sort of say, oh, you know, I, I'm really interested because I follow you on social media. And you kind of have that moment of going, oh, yeah, actually, social media is public, isn't it? <laughs> people do <laughs> yeah. follow it. You sort of forget. But I think um, I think the advice that I, that I do always give to people is the advice of you know the advice I sort of had at the beginning which is to get experience you know just get experience and always amazes me when I say say to people that they should go and get experience in something that's not Formula One the amount of people who kind of look and kind of go oh okay maybe maybe it's not for me and they're just they're not you know they kind of want to go in and do F1 because they think that sounds cool but actually they're not that interested in the job itself so the idea of getting experience or being in a different formula just doesn't appeal to them and to be honest I I quite like that because I think that actually really separates the people from you know the people who really really want and deserve the jobs from those who probably shouldn't do the jobs and are probably not the right people for it because actually getting experience you know it's how I did it and you know you need to learn your trade you need to be prepared to start from the bottom you know you need to be prepared to to work hard yeah there's lots of perks to the job but if you if you can't take the the downside as well then you shouldn't really you don't really deserve the perks I guess and there are very few perks <laughs> but uh, but they're really good ones so I think be prepared to to work hard make contacts learn your trade 
and don't don't just aim for f1 you know want to work in motorsport learn about motorsports and then be good enough to move into f1 that's how i did it and that's how i would advise anyone to do it and when people come to me and apply for jobs it's it's always what i look for that's really important to me is that people have really shown some you know desire to get experience and what about the advice that you've been given as you go through your career? Have you got a piece of advice that still stands out or that you still sticks in your mind or that you still use to this day that's guiding you through what you're doing? That's a really tough one. <laughs> I think the advice about working, you know, make it about motorsport. I think that was the most important advice that I got given quite early on was it was be in this for the motorsport, don't be in this for the Formula One, because I think you can very easily get distracted by the so-called glamour of F1. I mean, even we, we've talked about it in the past about the, you know, the facilities and the, the motorhomes and the way that the whole F1 paddock operates. If I wasn't in F1, I would still love my job just as much. But I know full well that every other paddock apart from F1, pretty much you know, the, the way that the comms people work is very different, how their setup is, you know, even down to where you can eat and things like that. You know, it's not all that easy to kind of operate it and f1 is a is a very good sort of operational machine but motorsport is is what i do it for i do it for the motorsport and that's that's kind of at the core of everything and i think that that piece of advice has has always stayed with me because it's always been true to what i believe in so i'm not forcing myself to be a motorsport fan i'm not kind of a, a big f1 fan that's going okay maybe i should watch other motorsport as well no I'm a, I'm a genuine motorsport fan and i think having that that true understanding and grounding in motorsport has seen me through the years probably get all the jobs that i've got because like you say they, i've been recommended for jobs over the years and you know, I've, I've hopefully gone in and done good jobs to then get recommended for other jobs. But, you know, like we say, a lot of the time we're working with engineers. And if, you know, if these people in the team, you know, the team, the boys in the garage and, and the sort of team principals, you know, they have to kind of respect you as a person for you to be able to do your job effectively. And that's a lot harder than it maybe seems from the outside. And I think when people realise your background and and what you have done in the past I have found that has opened so many doors because people kind of go oh actually okay yeah you you have worked hard and you've probably been around a lot of some of the racing tracks that we have in the cold rainy English weather that's always been the thing that I sort of pass on to people and it's always been the thing that I've kind of held on to through uh through good times and bad I guess last question from me it's been a good chat it's been a really good chat <laughs> what are you looking forward to on a professional level I'm looking forward to having to worry about what happens when you win a race again <laughs> I think you know seeing Williams do well after you know many tough years that would be so so nice to see for for, for all the people involved you know it'd be great to see everybody up there you know it'd be great to see Claire stood on a podium taking your constructors trophy you know things like that are, are obviously obvious things that I'm looking forward to but also personally you know I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to getting to a race and I'm looking forward to Florence coming to a race I'm looking forward to being able to take her take her into a paddock you know I took her took her to the Barcelona test when she was 10 weeks old so yes. she was 
she was pretty diddy but you know I really wanted her to experience it and she was probably a little bit too little to really understand where she was you know you sort of sit her on an f1 car and she kind of looks at you like I'd really just rather have my bottle <laughs> but you know I'm sure when she looks back she'll she'll realize that was quite a nice thing to do but you know I, I really wanted her to experience it and I'm, I'm looking forward to you know maybe in sort of a year's time 18 months time her being able to come and see you know come and see mummy at work and in the paddock where where I kind of you know is has been my home for like the last over 20 years I don't know if she'll work in motorsport, to be honest. I don't really care if she does, but I just want her to have that opportunity to experience all those sights and sounds that I experienced when my dad took me to that first British touring car race. And if it sparks something in her, so be it. If it doesn't, then it doesn't matter. She's still she's still experienced it. She's still seen that. And whatever she does, you know, she's going to be probably as fiercely independent and do her own thing as as I was as a little girl and a, a woman and if she takes that from me then I'll be happy so that's that's what I'm looking forward to seeing. Thank you so much for chatting to me today Sophie thank you. Thank you thank you for having me. <laughs> a huge thank you once again to Sophie for coming on this week's podcast she is hugely passionate about motorsport and I know that came through and I want to thank her for expressing how much she loves this sport so much and so well I could have listened to her and spoken to her for hours she is on Instagram of course if you wanted to get in touch her main account is sophie underscore og and her new account which she mentioned is racing mum life as ever, if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe via your favourite podcast platform and leave us a review if that function is available on that platform. It helps people find us, but it also means so much and you know I'll be reading all of them. You can also get in touch directly if you'd like via my Instagram account, which is Pandia, P-A-N-D-E-A. Thank you very much for listening and speak to you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 